Okay, so we have a fighter, a cleric, and a rouge. What color rouge are you going to be? Bright red? Or maybe dull crimson? Oh, you want to play as a rogue. Well, why didn't you write rogue on your character sheet? No, you didn't. It clearly says R-O-U-G-E. That spells rouge. Rogue is spelled R-O-G-U-E. Fine, I'll let you play as a rogue. Now that we have that cleared up, I believe you were saying your rogue was going to jump into melee and swing his scimitar. He's trying to hit the kobold with his sword. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Grognards. My name's Dean Geiken. And I am Eric Hawley. And today we're going on another one of those Digging deep into the classes of the Dungeons and Dragons rule set, and today we're going to be talking about the thief, or the rogue, and no, the thief, or the rouge, the rouge. Yes, yes, it could be the rouge. I had a hard time with that a couple of times. Every, I actually did write. Everybody the rouge. does. Yeah, I see. We see that so often. I still call this class the thief. But in all fairness, people can't spell thief either. No, I I just misspelled it twice on the file save. <laughs> so, what is it about this class that leads to misspelling? Uh, because they, I don't know, they spend too much time in the shadow and they don't get enough reading in? Maybe. That could be it. Well, anyway, we've got our regular segment, Games People Play, where Eric and I, we talk a little bit about what we've been doing outside of the role of Game Master or whatever for D&D. So what have you been doing this last couple of weeks? Our listeners might not realize it, but we actually, uh, hopefully they did, we pushed ahead our Kickstarter podcast because some of the information was time sensitive. Mm -hmm. So we haven't had a whole lot of time to gain between the uh, recording of that one and recording of this one. So I've only played two games, and that would have been in, what, five days, I think. Yes. Um, I ran Adventures League on Wednesday night at the local game store, and we've actually had an, an uptick in attendance. I'm not sure why. Which is a good thing. For your particular game or just overall? Uh, well, just overall for people showing up to play. Okay. Um, but of course, with organized play, that's almost a problem because they have to start at level one. Mm -hmm. And if you're already mid-game in Dungeon of the Mad Mage, you can't play that at level one. So we sort of have to backtrack and play some other games. So we've been doing that. Um, but we, we finally did get back to Dungeon of the Mad Mage this week um, with a couple new players, which is cool. That's cool. And then uh, played online last night, as a matter of fact, played the Spelljammer game using the Pathfinder rules on Roll20. So that's sort of nice. a hodgepodge of every possible combination of D&D &D you could get. No kidding. Let me go back a little bit. How do you deal with someone who comes in to a campaign and wants to get in with your group and they, you know, you're halfway through it? How do you deal with that? You mean in terms of like incorporating them? Into yeah. Mm -hmm. So I tend to run a very... Uh, story arc driven campaign so I will try to fit them into an existing story arc if possible because I don't want them to miss out on that prior stuff in terms of fitting people into an adventure I literally drop them from the sky and they're there I like that because that's what I do too I don't want to waste game time trying to come up with some convoluted reason that this person's going to show up and join the group I mean, if they they have something that I can incorporate quickly, mm -hmm. you know, they're the cousin of Bob the Fighter, that works, I don't care. 
but I see t- far too often people spend two hours sitting at the table waiting for the DM to incorporate their character, and that is not fun. I've done that a couple of times only because it worked well and because the person was brand new to the game. And so what I did is I allowed that person to kind of watch how the game progressed. Yeah. You know, how the people and the players, I should say, played the game, and then I introduced them, and then it was kind of like, okay, now it's your turn to be part of this game. Yeah. And so. sometimes players want to do that. They want to wait and have that that better entrance. It's, a lot of it's up to the player, but mm-hmm. my preference is just to get them in there, work them in as much as I can, and then sort of take it from there. Right, yeah. So uh, I got to play a couple of games. I only got to play two games also. Um, I've been playing... I know this is kind of weird, but I get a real satisfaction on playing this game that I talked about recently. It's called The Barbarian Prince. It's a... I saw you post it again on it. It's a solo game, and it was made in 1982 or 3, and it's oddly satisfying. It really is a very satisfying little game. It's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure, but you've got dice rolls, and you have a couple of choices that you can make depending on what the encounter is. But currently, right now, The Barbarian Prince, Cal... Arath, that's his name, is one day away from starvation. He's stuck in a town with no money to buy food. (laughs) (laughs) And he knows that there's treasure six spaces away to the northwest. And part of the goal is to get enough gold, 500 gold pieces, in order to take back your throne. But I've got to do some successful hunting. I've got to leave the town so I can hunt. You know, we were stay talking, away from starvation and find the gold. We were talking earlier, you know, before the podcast, that some of those early simpler games with really simple mechanics are a lot of fun. Yeah, and that's why I think I'm really enjoying the hell out of this, um, because it's just it's so simple. You might start a Barbarian Prince revival, Dean. Who knows? I, I've played this game more. As a single game in the last month that I've played anything else. <laughs> so um, I also got to play at the uh, local game store, the uh, uh, Gopher Mafia. Mm-hmm. Almost forgot the name. Almost called it the old name, and that's yeah, not no. the name of it. Gopher Mafia Games. Uh, set up my Artemis Bridge, and we played for six hours on Sunday evening. We had a lot of players come in and out, new players, and we had a ton of fun. Yeah. But it was loud because we were sitting there screaming at each other, and then the D&D tables were also screaming at each other, and so it was a pretty crowded little space. They had Artemis set up at LodgeCon, but I didn't see a lot of people playing it. Did they really? Yeah, they just had, it was a real close mm-hmm. close table. They didn't have any of the bells and whistles like you have. but Right. Um, so it was just all laptops? And there, yeah, and I don't think there was anybody like organizing it. It was there, I, uh, which is not the way to play that no, game. No, 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 no. You need someone who can kind of guide you through the first... 10 minutes of it. And we've talked about Artemis before. It's a Starship Bridge Simulator. Yes. And it is a, it's a really fun game. If you haven't tried it, check mm-hmm. it out if you get the chance. It does require some actual hardware. Um, but for the most part, if you've got enough friends and they've got laptops, you're good to go. I like it because it's a cooperative game that if you argue, you die. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you play Pandemic, you can go back and forth on what the best move is in Artemis. If you go back and forth, it's already too late. Yes. Like there's a captain, he gives commands, you execute that command. Well, uh, case in point, yesterday, my weapons officer thought he, oh, I understand this, I get it. Well, he and the helmsman were both kind of newbies. So this guy launches a nuke and the helmsman's like, let's go get him. And the nuke is like (laughs) right beside him. (laughs) Whoops. And when that nuke hits, that nuclear missile hits the enemy, they're in the same vicinity as the uh, 
as a splash zone and yeah. well the artemis went down in a blaze of glory yeah and and it's still fun to not be the captain because if you are good at your crew position you can make a substantial difference. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's an interesting game. Yeah, we had a really good uh, set of uh, people who kind of coalesced towards the end, and it was a lot of fun. But that's what we did uh, over the last time we got together, and so that is our segment, Games People Play. All right, Eric, so this one is all yours. I hand the dice to you, and we are talking about the thief. Yeah, thief. Well, you know, it's gone through a couple different uh, different names. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that it what was were some of the what were some of the names that they were given in uh, first edition? We'll get to that. Well, we're gonna we're gonna cover some as okay. we go through. But um, you know the the class titles, which I always love. They had like footpad and burglar yeah. and all those. Those were those were really good. Um, but it's you know it's a class. It's stresses stealth and dex. You know, mm-hmm. they're dexterous or stealthy. And it's always been the class that's able to find the secret doors and disarm the traps. And pretty early on, the big ability for a thief was backstab. Right. And that's last lasted. They've changed the name, but it's still still backstab. So you catch somebody by surprise or unawares and you're able to do extra damage, which is sort backstab of cool has cool. that uh that bad connotation. Yeah, they I think that was part of the satanic panic, uh, when they when they can that maybe. Yeah. Um but, you know, it was originally based off of, you know, Bilbo Baggins, even though The Hobbit does not influence mm. D&D that much. So no matter what they say. The Grey Mouser, you know, Fritz Lieber. Love the Grey Mouser. Love he the was Grey real, Mouser. like we said before, he was real active in early D&D. You know, he was a very influential. Jack Vance Cudgel the Clever. Never read any of those stories. Yeah, I mean, the more we do this and the more I research this, like Vance... You know, we talk about Vancey and magic with having spell slots and such, mm-hmm. but um, Gygax was huge in the Jack Vance. I mean, there's it, it constant callbacks to the works of Jack Vance. Um, and also, uh, one that I was not aware of, Shadow Jack by Roger Zelazny, uh, which was a character, the, the story was very Vancean. Um, and it's telling, apparently. Um, I actually ordered the book when I was doing this because now I have to read this book because I love Roger Zelazny. Will Chronicles you share of when you're done? Sure. I'll pass it along. So it uh, should be on the way. But um, So those were the ones that, uh, you know, Gygax credited that uh, Vance and uh, Cudgel the Clever and, and the Shadow Jack from Valancey. Uh, Zelazny, sorry. Um, <laughs> so... Um, Thief, not an original ODD class in the box set. It wasn't? It was not. It came out in uh, Supplement 1 Greyhawk, which I owned, but I couldn't find in time for this podcast because it's somewhere in a box. Um, so that was sort of interesting. I, I, you know, I never played the ODD. I started with AD&D, so I had assumed it was original, but no, Supplement 1, pretty quick um, after they came out with the box. And it had four hit dice. Four-sided or hit four-sided dice. four-sided hit dice, Just yes. like Wizards. Wow. So can you imagine being in Melee <laughs> in early D&D with a four-sided? That's why characters died a lot. They did. They were weak. And if you were able to survive, especially your your rogues and your magic users. Yeah, yeah. So um, pretty quickly we get to first edition. There it's a player's handbook class. Um, and it has a couple special characteristics associated with it. Um they were the only class to have unlimited advancement for non-humans. Is that correct? Yeah. The uh, other classes, every other class was limited in advancement. But in the thief class, you could be non-human and, and no end. Yeah, but... Hmm. I was, don't recall that. 
yeah, there was a tricky a tricky mechanic in that you would have to multi-class. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the table now. Half elves were unlimited and as druids. Oh. <laughs> but as a okay. as a demi-human race in AD&D, you couldn't be a, you couldn't pick up a second class later on. Only humans could do that. They called it a character with two classes. Um, but if you were a demi-human, you had to multi-class from the beginning. So if you really were thinking the long game and you wanted to be able to advance throughout your entire D&D career, um, you would have to pick up Thief. And there were a ton of multi-classes with Thieves that people could do. So um, so sometimes people did that, you know, did a Thief magic user, knowing that they'd eventually top out as magic user and they could continue to advance as a Thief. Right. And they got that ever so helpful D6. Yeah, now you're you're <laughs> upgraded to a D6. Right, yes. Woohoo! I got six hit points now. Well, you might have more because you, most places rolled for yes. stats. So you right. could get lucky. You probably would, yeah. but you could. Increase that, that constitution and, and beef it up a little Their bit. Their other uh, quirkiness was they had the fastest experience point advancement table of any class. Uh, thieves hardly compared to like wizards I think it was twice as fast at the early levels um, for a thief to go to second level they only needed 1251 compared to what so a, like wizard? A, a wizard needed 2500 wow and how, did that, how did that compare since you've got the book out how did that compare to like let's say the fighter so a fighter needed uh, 2000 okay you know, twelve hundred, yeah, twelve fifty, and, and they they kept that advantage all the way up. Eleventh level thief needed four hundred forty thousand. Eleventh uh, was basically where most classes yeah. topped out. Seven hundred fifty thousand for a fighter. And back when money also counted as experience, you could get that very quickly. Yeah, hopefully, if you yeah. were a good thief. Mm-hmm. Um, now the other weird thing about it though was all their classic thief skills like pickpockets, open locks, find traps. Um, they, you actually didn't put any points in them in any meaningful way. You just, they, the, it was a percentage based and it increased as you increase level. So every third level thief had a certain percentage to open. Now it was modified by some racial modifiers. So certain races were better at certain things, like mm-hmm. halflings were better at hiding and sneaking. Right. Um, because the Hobbit didn't influence TNT. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so how do you feel about that, you know, where your set percentages are increased with level and not, you know... You know, it's old school. Speed. Now, we're going to do a whole podcast coming up. It might be the next one, old school versus new school, right. mm-hmm. because there are some real differences and not even the groups involved agree. And I don't agree with them. Uh, a lot of them place old school um, as ODD or earlier, but there wasn't a lot of stuff going out. No, on no, no. And we don't need to belabor that too much. But when we're going to be talking old school, we're basically going to be talking, I, I would have to say, like maybe first and second. First and second. Early exactly. second. Yeah. At late second, mm-hmm. things start to get a little crazy. But right. but first and early second, I think. And that's uh, I, certainly basic. Yeah. Yeah. The, the yeah. Beck me. Now, whole different mindset for playing. So with that mindset, I don't have a problem with those percentages being being set. Yeah. I think, you know, it's it's we'll talk about why why that's different in the next podcast hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we get into second edition and this is where we become a rogue. That and and we lead to many years of misspellings. Um, <laughs> Rouge the rogue. <laughs> yeah. And and they get uh put together with bards. Uh why was that? I didn't play I, it, a lot of second edition, but 
Was there a, a well, conscious in, reason behind that? In first edition, Bards was an appendix class, right? I yes. mean, we, they stuck them at the end. There are a lot of similarities between thieves and bards. They mm-hmm. sort of work, you know, working class, you know, those tend to hang out with the lower levels of society. So I guess they were just trying to organize stuff. That's a lot of what, what second edition was. Like, okay, we know what we got. Let's try to organize it a little better so the average person can actually understand it. Um, prior to that, really, you needed to know somebody who played D&D to introduce you to D&D because trying to figure it out oh, yes. from the written materials was near impossible. Yes, that's very true. And I'm... I'm surprised that I even introduced myself to it in the first place because it was a little intimidating. But I started with the uh, the box sets. Yeah, the box sets were made for that very purpose to mm-hmm. you know give someone who had no prior knowledge an introduction. Um, but I, I owned them, never played them. <laughs> but, um, so uh, any alignment, but lawful good, which you know I and, guess makes sense. Yeah. Um, getting back to alignments a little bit. Would you consider uh, Robin Hood, would he be uh, the thief type or would he be more of a ranger type? You know, you could play him either way, really. Yeah. Depending how you – he didn't do – like in early D&D terms, he didn't do a lot of like finding secret doors, disarming traps. You know, he did a little bit of sneaking, but not like roguey sneaking. He did more yeah. ranger sneaking. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. So, I was just curious because when we were talking about this subject, it kind of came up in the back of my mind and I wanted to ask that question. And early rogues, missile weapons weren't really a thing. They were shanking you. Like, yeah. The, mm-hmm. It was called backstab. It wasn't called like pinprick or, <laughs> you know, they weren't shooting yeah. arrows at you. They might yes. throw a dagger or something. Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, I'd have to look to see whether it was even eligible. I don't even know if a missile weapon was eligible for a backstab attack in early I don't period. recall it being. Yeah, I don't think it was, yeah. but maybe, you know, it's been many years. Right. Um, so, you know, then they expanded their definition of what they considered to be the, you know, uh, stereotypical rogue. They included Reynard the Fox, Robin, you know, from Robin Hood, obviously, mm-hmm. and Alibaba, which, you know, the would, would sort of make sense. Also trying to become multicultural, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, they gave them the ability to specialize in a few skills so that they could master a couple of them more quickly. Mm-hmm. So you actually had skill specialization, which sort of gets back to the point you were making earlier. Like, am I okay with that? Apparently, a lot of people weren't. They were like, well, I just want a sneaky thief. I, don't, I could care less about, you know, finding secret doors. I just want to be able to sneak around. Um, so that let them do it. They got rid of the assassin subclass. I don't recall if I ever played an assassin in first edition or not. I know some of my players did. Yeah, I run assassins. I don't think I ever played one. Yeah, and like I said, they got rid of it in second. So, and that was purely because of the satanic panic. Yep. in my mm-hmm. opinion. I mean, they, I think you're. I they were trying really hard to clean the yeah. game up, and I'm using air quotes here to clean the game up to get away from that whole you know demonic pact. Yeah. So, when, when but the, then they get back to the warlock, and we're all right back there. That's the right. Beginning but again. It took a while. <laughs> it took a while. Um, and then uh, late, they came out with that Complete Thieves Handbook, late second edition, mm-hmm. where the bloat starts. And oh, gosh. And there's all kinds of kits and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to mention one other thing. Uh, in a prior podcast, we could not recall what classes they added in Unearthed Arcana. We were trying to think of how many classes. And I'm kicking myself because we should have known that just because of the D&D cartoon. The D&D cartoon came out right around the same time as Unearthed Arcana. And if you remember the characters in the D&D cartoon. Okay, so we had okay, we had the wizard. Yeah, so that one, that's fine. Right, and we had the ranger. Yeah, and that's an old class. And then you had three other classes. We had a, we had a thief, right? Not a pure thief. 
That's why I bring it up here. It was a thief acrobat. Oh my gosh, that's right. Yeah, that was the uh, the young girl, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you had the thief acrobat, you had Bobby the Barbarian, and you had the Cavalier, which was a subclass yes. of Paladin. Those are those three classes are unearthed arcana classes. Little so did we know it was that like a, they were promoting yeah, unearthed arcana. Oh no, arcana. we knew it was a, a well, I didn't at title. the time. I was kind of oblivious to it. I was just watching the cartoon and eating it up. Yeah, so uh, you they added, you know, the the Cavalier the barbarian. There was some. They did something with the ranger and thief acrobat. So, so they added those classes. Hmm. Um, they made a couple adjustments to other classes as well. Right. Um, so that was second edition. Uh, third edition, thief officially becomes rogue. In second edition, and they people were part still of the have rogue not figured out how group. to spell it. Yeah, but in thir- three three point five, they become actual rogues. They rename them. Uh, backstab becomes sneak attack. Uh, we add the difficulty. Uh, chance uh, difficulty number mechanic um, and they they sort of hone the sneak attack now that you can do it when your opponent is flat footed or flanked so what did they mean by flat footed uh, so in 3 and 3.5 if you somebody does not get their dex bonus to their armor class they're considered flat footed and there's a couple of conditions that can, that's right yes. so if they're surprised if they don't know you're there they're flat footed they can't react to your attack mm-hmm. which is a, a nice mechanic like basically yes you're wearing plate mail but you're not going to try to get out you're of you're not the, getting the dex bonus for yeah. It. yeah so you would get sneak attack there or if they're flanked so basically any situation where you sort of have an advantage mm-hmm. um, and then I really um, liked the whole flanking mechanic that is an optional rule in 5th edition I know I know it is but I've taken it out because it does tend to kind of muddle up it's already combat. it's already easy enough to hit in yeah. fifth edition. Right. Ace, uh, to hit bonuses out out level your defensive bonuses pretty quickly, so they don't really need that mechanic. But um, and then we just go to fifth edition. Well, well no, so, oh, so three three point five. Uh, they're also this is a point at which they become skill monkeys. That's right. We we missed that. They part. get a yes. million skill points. Mm-hmm. They get a million more every time they level. So it was a common practice uh, to. Take a level, your first level in rogue, regardless of where you were going to end up, just because you got so many skill points and some other cool abilities. Yeah. And then you just go to whatever class you actually want to be, <laughs> which is sort of crazy. I recall playing a game. It was an organized game. It was a living Greyhawk game. And this guy had a number of levels in rogue. And what he was able to do in one single combat was, one, tiresome. Because he had to go through this litany of things that he was going to do prior to actually swinging a sword. And uh, it really just, I dreaded it when it was his turn. Because he had all That is probably why Rogue is my second favorite class. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't talk about that. Usually we talk about it early on. I I, I don't know where Rogue falls for me in terms of likability. I've... Ran a couple, but they were all first edition. I never ran a rogue after first edition. Yeah, I run rogues now. Um, Wizard is my first favorite class, mm-hmm. and then it's followed by rogues. And I think that's because I like characters that can do many things, and that I'm sort of like I like the problem solving. So when you're in combat and you're playing a fighter, your option is to swing your sword, right? Maybe drink a potion. You might have a magic item that you can use that that can affect the combat. But on the other end of the spectrum, you have a wizard. And I tend to play control wizards. So 
I have a lot of options to say, okay, how do I want this combat to go? What spell do I want to cast? Um, rogues are similar, um, but in a melee sort of way because they have more mobility in combat. They have uh, the use magic device where they can use a lot of different magic items. I mean, in early D&D, they could just cast spells off of scrolls um, so or, or use any item, really. So it is – and they have the ability to scout ahead. They got a lot of stuff going for them that, that's – uh, makes them an interesting class to play. And now we've got this little awkward pause because, well, we're not, ag- we're not acknowledging 4th edition, but also... No, I thought we were acknowledging it. We're just not talking about it. We're just not talking about yeah. it. We are not talking about 4th edition. We acknowledge it exists, but that's right. all we're doing. Yes. And our third grognard made it into the studio, so welcome, Greg. Just in time for 5th edition Rogue. Thanks. All Which right. is appropriate, because Greg didn't play earlier editions of D&D, so... <laughs> I just make it all up before we start talking yeah. about 5th. All right. So, yeah, now we're on 5th edition. Yeah, so... Um, so just as a class, you know, at first level they get expertise, which lets them to add lets them add double their proficiency bonus to skills. So we're pulling in that skill monkey aspect of mm-hmm. three and three point five, um, and that's on two skills or on thieves tools, which is what I usually take. I want to be able to be better at disarming traps and such or opening locks. Do a lot of your players use their thieves tools? I I have I have rogue players, and. I, to be honest with you, maybe it's my fault. I rarely have them use their thieves' tools when they're doing stuff. Well, they can't open a door unless... It's just assumed. That's that's kind of that old school thing for me. You know, I'm assuming they're using their thieves' tools. Well, yeah. I mean, that's if they say I picked the lock, that they mm-hmm. have that proficiency in thieves' right. tools. Right, yes. Although um, I did have my, my uh, wild magic sorcerer with Lucky... And I picked a lock with a chicken bone on purpose right. once because you could get disadvantage and then use your lucky die and pick the best of the three dice. Yeah, my rogue in your campaign, I don't think I use my thieves tools a whole lot. It's just sort of, you just have to have them. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I remember I broke them once or didn't, no, I didn't have any after you took all our stuff away from us. And uh, and that's the only time yes. it came up yes. as a thing. If you don't have them, that's a problem. <laughs> and there's no official ruling on whether you actually need thieves' tools to do those things or what the effect is if you don't have thieves' tools, whether you can still do them. Or whether you need to be proficient in thieves' tools. That's another question. Can a non-rogue with a set of thieves' tools, like I have a set of lockpicks at home just because who doesn't? I know how to pick locks, but I'm clearly not a rogue. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. According to some of the ladies, I might be. Shh. <laughs> 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 no. okay. Wow, we are in a fantasy setting now. Okay. <laughs> um, so back to actual rogues. Uh, they get sneak attack, starts at 1d6, right. mm-hmm. goes all the way up to 10d6, which is a nice damage boost. Doesn't keep up with the, the damage classes like a, a good fighter build. But yeah. I like it. I like that alpha damage that rogues can do. It's basically feeding the, the addiction for people like Greg so they can go out and buy more d6s. Yeah, guys. more d6s. <laughs> You can't have too many D6s. There, you know, anyone who doesn't say that there is something extremely satisfying about picking up a fistful oh, of dice. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah. That is one of the best things to yes. do in a D&D Just game. the sound and the mess and yeah. the math. Yeah. And yeah. if you don't have enough dice, 
to do it all at once, shame on you. You, sh- you are an embarrassment to Nothing the Nothing is worse I totally agree. than having to borrow dice yeah. from somebody. Or re-roll the dice you already rolled. Yeah. Ooh. All those dice need to hit this table at once. If you're rolling 12d6 yeah. on an attack, you need to roll 12d6. Yeah. I completely I agree. I house rule that. Yeah. Uh-oh. I think you, that. you only get the damage of the dice you can actually roll in one roll. I think yeah. Keith's in trouble. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so sneak attack, a lot of fun. Uh, they also get Thieves' Camp. Now, that is a holdover from first edition. Yes, they has, and there's tons of misunderstanding about what thieves can't is. Um, a lot of people think it's an entire separate language. No, it's kind of a a dialogue or a dialect. Yeah, I mean, you're using you know phrases and words. It's like like when carnies talk, mm-hmm. they have words that you don't know the meaning yeah, of. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's like a, gang talk. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I pinched the, the guy and, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's just these words that the common person is not familiar with. And also it's um, also in, combines like the hobo signs kind of idea where mm-hmm. you'll see markings on buildings that mean something to you but don't mean anything. Gang tagging. Anymore. Yeah. Well, gang tagging Ish. is just, yeah. I mean, hobo signs are like, would mark where like uh, this is a safe place to rest or this, this house, the person will give you food if you ask. You know, or you can get medical, free medical care here. So, or don't go here because these people beat you up, you know. I'm also mildly surprised that with, you know, Klingon being like a real language and and Tolkien Elvish being a real language, somebody hasn't come up with like a guide to speaking thieves can't. Actually, there is. If you look online, there's a there's a guy who makes a decent attempt at it. Really? (laughs) But Mm. it's it's sort of a made up thing. I mean, it's there's no actual yeah. thieves can't, and and it's hard to role play because obviously, <laughs> yes. like you're talking normal language, but you're trying to put this like yeah. flair on it, and and you know. as but, essentially but you, have to be proficient in it. Yeah, but you can't tell me that there aren't people who would take it that far. You know what though? I would love to have a player <laughs> who role played thieves can at my table. That would be awesome. Um, I'll so anyway. I'll work on it. Yeah, um, cunning action. Uh, this is another second-level ability for rogues. It's huge in 5th edition. As a bonus action, um, you can take the disengage, dash, and something else. But hide. Those, hide. Yes, those are the, the big ones, which uh, means rogues can can book if they need to. They can take that extra movement action yeah. um, or get away from the bad guy that's trying to hit them as a bonus you action. You run up, you stab somebody, you run away. Third level, you get your archetype. We're going to cover those in a little bit. Uh, just like every other class, you get your ability score increases every four levels. Four, um, eight, 10, 12, 16, and 19. 19 or 20? It says 19 oh, here. Maybe it is 19. Oh, because you get your capstone at 20. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, at fifth level, Uncanny Dodge. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's the one that lets you take no damage from any save that requires a dex. Um, if you make your save, you take no. If you fail, you take half. According to this, starting at fifth level, when you when an attacker that you can see hits you with an attack, oh, I'm thinking the other one. You can use your reaction to have the attack. Yeah, I was thinking, thinking it was evasion. Evasion is our next one. Yeah. Uncanny dodge, you and have that's at seventh attack. level. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, um, uncanny yeah, dodge, dodge. Pl- dodge plus. It's just an attack, which means it could be a spell attack, mm, right? It's uh, as long as it yeah. needs an attack roll. That's yes. an attack, and it hits you. And it I guess I hadn't really thought of it like that. I'm always thinking about a physical attack. Yeah, no. As long as it requires an attack roll, it's an attack. Um, so uh, now things that require saves aren't necess- aren't attacks. Unfortunately, Th- say that again. Things, things that, that require, require saves, saves are not. And I should probably check and confirm that. But I'm. But that sure. makes good sense. Yeah. yeah to be an mm-hmm. attack, they they sort of parse the language very closely in fifth edition. Right. Um, and I'm pretty sure I've hmm. let 
players use Uncanny Dodge when they shouldn't have, but whatever. It's just a game. Yeah. Uh, evasion is the one I was thinking of that lets you take half damage, which is uh, or no damage when you have to make a deck save. Yeah, that's nice, too. Well, they, uh, seventh level, evasion. Uh, you can nimbly, I love the way they say it, nimbly dodge out of the way of certain area effects. Yes. Such so as that's... an ancient dragon's fiery breath or an ice storm. <laughs> or a fireball. Or yep. a fireball. Yeah. So that, that gives you some survivability. And that is half damage. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, no, no. It's none if you make none it. It's half you, if you yeah, fail. If you, right. Then you get reliable talent at 11th. Uh, that lets you treat any roll as a 10, I believe, right? I'm doing this from memory. Dean has it in front of him. It's, it, that's exactly right. you got a very good memory. Right. Whenever you make an ability check that lets you add your proficiency bonus, you can treat a d20 roll of 9 or lower as a 10. Yeah. So, again, that's nice. a call back to the skill monkey. And it always sucks when, mm-hmm. like, you're really good at something and you roll a 1, by the way, which is not <laughs> an automatic failure on a skill check. I see people screw that up all the time in 5th edition. You still got to add 1s and bonus. 20s only matter for attack rolls. Right. Nothing else. Um, yeah, I forget that. I, I know. Everybody does. Because um, I roll a lot of 1s. <laughs> blind sense at 14. <laughs> and I think that's within 10 feet. You basically can detect any creature within 10 feet. And if they're visible or concealed, they're not yes. to you. Yeah. Um, and here's here's Eric's slippery mind at fifth level. Slippery fifteenth level. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So that prevents you from being charmed, right? Yeah. And and they can't read your thoughts. And and I think all the women who come up against Eric are also have the slippery mind. Yeah. I'm not even sure what you mean by that. <laughs> uh, they I, cannot be charmed by him. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I don't, I, I don't know how we got there, but. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I think you started that about 10 minutes ago. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Saying okay. that you were roguish. <laughs> Perhaps. Um, at 18, we get elusive. Why don't you read that one, D? Because I've right. never run an 18th level rogue. Yeah. You haven't made it there yet. Beginning at 18th level, you are so evasive that attackers rarely gain the upper hand against you. No attack roll has advantage against you while uh, while you aren't aren't incapacitated. Yeah, you know what? Not a big fan. Mm. By the time you're 18th level, everything's going to hit you. You would think <laughs> whether, so. Whether they have advantage or not. I guess it's okay. Yeah. It's it's not, Now, at lower level, if you got that, that would be awesome. Mm. But by 18, I don't know if it matters. Yeah. At 20, mm. the capstone for rogues, which is pretty decent. Mm. Stroke of luck. Basically, you can hit. Right? Read that one, D. It says, um, you have an uncanny knack for succeeding when you need to. If your attack misses a target within range, you can turn the miss into a hit. Alternatively, if you fail an ability check, you can treat the D20 roll as a 20. Yeah. So, that's sort um, of nice. And you cannot use it until you have a short or long rest. Yeah, so once per rest. Yes. You know, if you're going for that sneak attack, that, that big alpha, mm-hmm. it's nice to have that in your back pocket. Yep. For, so Now... That roll, is it a roll as a 20, as in like a critical? There are no criticals on skill checks. Oh, yeah, we just talked about that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. and that well, it says your attack misses a target within range. It says an attack. Yeah, so that has to be an attack. But that just turns into a hit. The skill check turns into a Oh, okay, a yes, all right. I'm, yeah. I'm confusing the two, yes. Yes. Um, so... There's a period in the middle. I forgot that they were two separate sentences. Correct. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to survive to level 20, so I'm not, it's not going to matter that much. Maybe not. <laughs> um, so now we have the archetypes for rogues. And truthfully, of all the classes, I like the rogue archetypes 
the best. It's it's actually hard for me to pick which one I want. There's a couple that I'm not too impressed with, but but of the the selection we have, the, so the first one is your traditional rogue, your thief. You get uh, fast hands as a bonus action. You can make a dex check, which means uh, doing all kinds of you know picking locks and all that stuff. You get a climb speed, um, which is awesome in fifth edition, where because. Climbing is just climbing in, mo- in most cases. Depends on the DM, but like I'm just gonna go 30 feet up that building this turn, <laughs> which is crazy. Yeah. Um, and you get to add your uh, your dex to your jump distance if you can get a run. And there's a lot depending on the DM again, but there's a lot of like I need to jump this this gap, and and thieves are really good at it. Um, Supreme sneak advantage on stealth checks if you're only moving half your speed. To get that at ninth level, that's also awesome. Like if you're scouting ahead, you, uh, you're never gonna fail your stealth check. I mean, you're with advantage, and you're already probably stealthy, and you probably have expertise in it. You're gonna be pretty awesome. And then uh, thirteen, use magic device. You ignore your class, race, level requirements on any device. And in first edition. You were able to do this pretty much from the get-go. Is no, that right? No, it wasn't a get-go. You had to... I, I you had to advance a few levels? Yeah, it was... Let me let me look it up. But I know, but 13th level in 5th edition, but I do not recall it being quite that high in 1st edition, being able to read scrolls and use magic uh, uh, wands and things like that. Yeah. But uh, I, I recall it being it was It was... On. Oh, that's right. It was a percentage. It was on the percentage rogue ability table. So it started... Uh, Maybe it wasn't. Hold on. We're going to do a little song Again, and dance while he's que- doing his Questions thing. in advance would be nice, you know. Well, you know, <laughs> one of these things just kind of popped into my head and I wanted to ask about it. But I, regardless, it's 13th level here in 5th edition. It just happened a lot sooner in 1st edition, or at least the ability was there early on. Yeah, now one thing about 5th edition that's, um, uh, oh, it's 10th level, Master Thief able to decipher magical writings and utilize scrolls of all sorts, excluding those clerical but not druidic nature. Um, so you can read scrolls at 10th level. And maybe the reason I think it's earlier on is because of the fact that you could advance so quickly in 1st yeah, edition. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if, you'd have you'd have 5th level fighters and 10th level thieves running around. Yeah. yeah. I, well, yeah, they could. Um, so the other thing, 5th fifth, fifth edition... You can't read scrolls like you could in early editions mm-hmm. because to read a scroll, the spell has to be on your class list. And rogues don't have a spell list unless you're an arcane trickster. So your, your thief can't um, read scrolls of other classes, but they can use other because that's not a class restriction. That's actually a restriction on the scroll. You have to have the spell on your class list to cast off a scroll. Some, some DMs ignore that. And let people do it. That's fine. Um, and then at 17, sort of awesome, Thief's Reflexes take two turns on the first round of any combat. You roll your initiative, you go in your initiative, and you go at your initiative minus 10. That's that's cool. Yeah, I yeah, mean, for, nice. an, for an alpha strike. And you can backstab, um, I believe, that second uh, attack as well. Because you can only backstab once per turn, but you get two turns. So you're actually getting your backstab twice that round as well. And it's, that's, it's important they phrased it that way, exactly that way. And that's uh, every combat. That's not a one-time rest ability. That's, in my opinion, better than the capstone ability for rogues. I mean, you're getting two, yeah, I agree. two turns every every combat. That's thief. Then they brought back assassin. Yay! Forget those <laughs> those damn parents against Satan. We're gonna we're gonna do what we want to do. Um, 
I see a lot of people take this. It's an okay if that's what you want to do. But truthfully, I like I, I like the thief better. But you get third level proficiency as Sky's Poisoner kits. And here's the, here's the thing. And this is very... There's a lot of conditions for this. The assassinate ability. This is what everybody wants. You have advantage on creatures that haven't taken a turn in combat yet. And you auto crit. Which is awesome. But it's dependent on the initiative order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that sort of sucks, right? I mean, I don't know. If I was going to rewrite it, and some DMs can be real sticklers for that or, you know, sort of hose you on those. Well, it it's important to the explanation of the of the actual act. Yeah. You're stabbing somebody and you're, you're getting the drop on somebody. You yeah. have to get the drop because if they're ready for you at all or have done anything, then that shouldn't work and out. I get the the concept behind it but here's the problem i have as a dm and even as a player it encourages the the rogue player to sneak ahead and to act initially on their own the first round of every combat because you're hidden you probably you're stealthed you know you're going to get that assassinate ability while everybody else waits that first round lets the rogue do it and then jumps into combat that's not fun i mean that's his job i i know but it's just (laughs) it's it's anytime everybody's watching somebody else do something and basically just waiting. That's not a fun way to play D&D. Well, in my that's true. Um, in general, I, the assassin's a little hard in role-playing situations, both mechanically, as you just explained, and because if you've got some damn lawful good character in your group, that's going to make it. Yeah, but it's sketchy. fifth edition. We don't care about alignment. That is true. It's like uh, whose line is it anyway? Where alignments who's, who's don't alignment matter. Is it anyway? Whose alignment is it anyway? There we go. Oh, like, I just had an idea for a bit. Sounds like a sketch. Uh, yeah, it sounds <laughs> yeah. like one. Yes. All right, somebody, somebody, make a note of that. Um, <laughs> okay. Where alignments are made up and they don't matter. That's right. So don't give away our bit. <laughs> okay. Uh, ninth level infiltration expertise. Um, and fall, you set up a false identity. Uh, I mean, this is a takes, ribbon ability. Yeah, it takes quite a time, uh, quite uh, a bit of time. Seven days and twenty five gold pieces to establish the history, yeah. profession, and identity. Yeah, thirteenth. Who, who does that? Yeah, exactly. It's a ribbon <laughs> ability. At thirteenth, you get imposter. You can mimic another person. Another ribbon ability. Okay, it's yeah, it's handy in a rare circumstance. If you do it twice in your adventuring career, you're probably a, above the average. Yeah. Um, at 17, you get Death Strike. You double the damage on a surprised creature if they miss the con save. You don't see a lot of just double things in 5th edition. So yeah. this is pretty impressive. You're just doubling everything. You roll it, then you double it. And if you auto-critted that person, you're already rolling double the dice and then adding your modifiers and then doubling that entire number. So that's why we have ribbon abilities earlier on because the 3rd level and the 17th level for assassins are pretty pretty cool now as a rule is written or as a house rule when it says on like there it says double damage are you rolling your damage and doubling the number or are you rolling double dice you're in this case you're rolling your damage and doubling the number on a crit you double the dice and add your modifiers once or is is the verbiage is the verbiage in the rule book specific about doubling dice or doubling the number it says double the damage okay just checking double the damage for the death strike yeah, which yeah. is rare. I don't see, I don't yeah. know of anywhere else in the fifth edition that it talks about doubling something. Um, it's usually you know a crit, you double the dice, add the modifiers once, um, or roll the dice, double that number, and yeah. then add your modifiers in once. Um, 
But yeah, this is so it's sort of cool. So if you're in a, now, that being said, other other builds will still out DPS an assassin or DPR damage per round an assassin, um, even in a short combat. Um, so, you know, if that's your thing, assassin's okay, uh, but it's pretty much a one trick pony. Uh, Arcane Trickster don't see a lot of these, but it actually is a pretty good build and. Um, if it's sort of like that uh that gish character you know the fighter magic user except here you're a thief magic user right okay you know? mm-hmm. um so at third level you get spell casting you get three cantrips eventually you get up to fourth level spells and you get mage hand ledger domain which means you can open locks disarm traps with your mage hand which essentially means you should never take damage from a trap because you can use your mage hand to do all that tricky work from far away uh, ninth level magical ambush. Uh, people have disadvantage on spell saves if you are hidden. Uh, that could be good. I mean, a lot of saves are tough to make. They don't they don't scale well. Um, so at higher levels, it's it's hard to make saves. The problem you run into at higher levels is creatures also start to get legendary resistance if you're going for big nasties. So they auto auto succeed anyway, even if they have disadvantage. But against the mooks, you're trying to clear out a room with a fireball or something. There's plenty of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 13th, versatile trickster. Uh, you can use a bonus action to get advantage. Um, that I sort of like. I like just saying I would really need to make this. And do you have that pulled up, Dean? Is that on yes. any roll? Uh, at 13th level, you gain the ability to distract targets with your mage hand. As a bonus action on your turn, you can designate a creature within five feet of the spectral hand created by the spell. Doing so gives you advantage on attack rolls against that creature until the end of the turn. I like that they explain it, that they yeah. give it a, they, you know, they give it a but mechanic. Now thinking through it more thoroughly, um, if you took Find Familiar as one of your spells at first level, you could get the same thing with your Familiar. To have the familiar distract? Yeah. The yeah. familiar can take the help action. Can attack, but it can take the help and give you advantage. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's not so good mm-hmm. of an ability in, in retrospect. But um, 17th, Spell Thief. This is a weird ability, and I, in the dregs of my memory, it's I seem to recall that this floated around somewhere in one of the earlier editions. But basically, you can use your reaction to negate damage on a spell, and you steal that spell, so now you have it and can cast it. Um, for the next eight hours, and the person you stole it from loses the spell and can't cast it, which is hmm. sort of the the most interesting aspect of that that ability. Do you see in the uh, uh, the arcane trickster a little bit of the gray mouser? Yeah, I mean that to me is because the gray mouser was a spell using yes. thief. Yep, and he had a chain called spellbreaker, which if he spun it in front of him. Basically disarmed any cast. Yeah, I think the uh, spell cast arcade. That's uh, cool. Trickster is definitely based on the Gray Mouser. Yeah. Uh, now, you know, with spell thief, it's sort of a neat ability. I don't see it all that useful, truthfully. Uh, you're how you don't run into spell casters a lot. You get monsters with powers that are like spells, but they're not actually casting spells. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't use it on them. Uh, spell-like abilities are not spells. Right. So it's the rare occasion you actually come across another caster. And then you have to use your reaction, so it does um, cost you something to do it. Uh, it's okay. Mostly what you're getting is the ability to cast up to fourth-level wizard spells as a rogue. That's sort of cool. Then we have Scout. Um, 
So third level scout, you can move uh, as a reaction, move up to half your speed with no opportunity attack if an uh, enemy earn, ends its turn within five feet of you. So basically you can run away. Like, run away! Uh, you also get proficiency in nature and survival, and you double proficiency bonuses for those. So I guess we'll not be having any opportunity attack podcasts with anybody who's roguish or scoutish. No, clearly not. <laughs> yeah. They're not going to draw any. Uh, ninth level, you get plus 10 to your movement speed. Never hurts, you know, uh, decent. 13th ambu- Ambush Master, you have advantage on initiative rolls and all attack rolls against the first creature you hit have advantage for that turn. So if you're a rogue and I hit a creature, everybody else has advantage in that creature. Which is nice. The, and it's sort of a weird ability, but against like a boss. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, there's Tiamat. I sp- well, hopefully you're not fighting Tiamat yeah. at 13th level. But, <laughs> not playing you know, that one. <laughs> I smack her. Now everybody has advantage. Right. You know, um, sort of interesting. Uh, 17 Sudden Strike. You get an extra attack as a bonus action, and you can use your sneak attack on that. Normally, one mm-hmm. sneak attack per turn. Um, but this Even way you if you've already more. used it this turn. Even if you've already used it. Yeah. So you can get actually two sneak attacks, but it can't be against the same target. So that does limit you a little bit, but you have skirmisher, so you can or uh, you can run away if somebody moves towards you. Um, but you're probably, I don't know, it's it's sort of dependent. Um, now here's another one of my favorites. I actually have one of these uh, characters, a swashbuckler, uh, fancy footwork at third level. If you make a melee attack against a creature, they cannot take an opportunity attack against you. Uh, and you get rakish, rakish audacity. You get to add your charisma bonus to your initiative. You can get sneak attack on a target. And this is a little convoluted. If you're within five feet of the target, no other creatures are within five feet of you, and you don't have disadvantage. So essentially... There's a lot of parameters on yeah, that. Yeah. But essentially what happens is if I can get where nothing's near me but the target and attack it, I get sneak attack. Now, obviously, if one of my allies is near a target, I get sneak attack. So, in short, there's very few situations where a swashbuckler does not get sneak attack. Mm -hmm. Also, once I hit a target, I can run away for free. No opportunity attack because of that first ability, fancy footwork. Um, So, these are guys who run into combat, stab something, run out. Um, I tend not to run out because I don't play mine that way, but... um, it, it's a fun character. I'll talk about my character at the end because uh, he's a fun, fun character to play. At ninth level, you get a ribbon ability. You have panache. You can use charm as an action. Uh, again, I hate charm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it says as an action, you can make a charisma persuasion check contested by the cre- uh, creature's wisdom insight check, and the creature must be able to hear you, and the two of you must share a language. Yeah. And uh, again, very GM dependent how you play yeah. charm. Talk your um, way out. It is very swashbucklerish, though. I mean, this is like the Three Musketeers kind of swashbuckler. Yeah. Um, 13th level, Elegant Maneuver. Uh, you can use a bonus action to get advantage on the next ac- athletics or acrobatics check in the same turn. In combat, not a real useful because I'm not sure I want to use my bonus action for that. But out of combat, essentially, you have advantage on every acrobatics or athletics check. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's nice. Um and in combat, also useful if you want to do, you know, crazy musketeer type stuff like swinging off chandeliers or sliding down banisters. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it's not not useless in combat, but I think like out of combat, that's awesome. Uh, 17th level, Master Duelist, on a miss, 
you can roll again with advantage. So you re-roll a miss. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. And plus, yeah. don't forget, at 20th level, you get your Thief Capstone ability, which is basically you don't miss. So between those two abilities, you got two attacks that are practically guaranteed. Yeah. Um, now, the Master Duelist is only once per rest, but still, uh, pretty awesome. Now, uh, my guy, I might as well talk about my, my uh, swashbuckler. Uh, Again, because I can't ever play a single class. He's a multi-class. No. <laughs> uh, and it's it, his name's Don Diego. He's got two levels of War Wizard. War Wizard. And the rest as Rogue. And I built him for a specific pers- purpose. He wants to go first. <laughs> war, <laughs> Sounds war, like a fifth grader. <laughs> yeah, war Wizard allows me to add my intelligent bonus to my initiative. Now, Swashbuckler allows me to add my Charisma bonus to my initiative, and I'm already adding my Dexterity to my initiative. Mm -hmm. Oh, and he's human, so I got to take a feat at first level, so I took the feat that adds plus five to my initiative. Oh, God. (laughs) So when you're all done, you've got, like, what, a plus ten to your initiative? Please. Please. (laughs) Ten. I remember the days of ten long ago. (laughs) I have a headband of intellect, so I have a 19 intelligence. (laughs) Um, and I also have a weapon of warning, which gives me advantage on initiative rolls. So Don Diego has plus 15 to initiative, and he has advantage on initiative rolls. He likes to go first. There's nothing better than sitting down at an Adventures League table with new people, and the DM says, roll initiative, and then they go around, and you say, well, what'd you get? 35. <laughs> You're going before even the DM does. Yes, yes. I'm going He's so already fast, gone. I went last round. Yep. <laughs> um, so... That's really his his only thing, um, but he is a fun fun class to play. He does have some other abilities. I picked up a musket in Curse of Stride mm. because he's a musketeer, and I reskin um, two short swords as a small sword and a main gauche. Uh, people make fun of me for the name small sword, but historically uh, they would not wear their full length rapiers in court because they were so lengthy that it would yeah. catch on things. Right. So so they would have a court sword or a small sword. So I call one of the short swords a small sword, and it, it's a little bigger, and I call the other one a main gauche, and it's a little smaller. So I dual wield um, when I can. Uh, he gets the other abilities for War Wizard are sort of awesome as well, even with only two levels, which is arcane deflection. Um, when I'm hit by an attack or fail saving throw, I can use my reaction to get a plus two bonus to my AC or a plus four to the save after I roll, which is, which is sort of awesome. Um, and when I use that, I can't cast spells or, other than cantrips until the end of my turn, which isn't usually an ability. It isn't usually a big deal. But the other thing I like about this build is because I have two levels in wizard, I actually get to pick up wizard spells. So, um, you know, I... I pick up a couple cantrips. I don't do much with those. But for my wizard spells, I pick up uh, Featherfall and Shield, which are super handy spells to have. Shield is an awesome spell, plus five to my AC. Featherfall, and then I rounded them out with Disguise Self and Magic Missile, um, just because it never hurts to have those. So he's a really, you know, he's a flamboyant out there character. He's got a high charisma, obviously, because, you know, he's he's a swashbuckler. Um, so he's the face of the group often. He has uh, really good skill checks. Um, so most of that, and in combat, he's, he's decent because of those swashbuckler abilities. He's essentially always getting sneak attack. Uh, is he the best? Is he dishing out the most damage? No, not really. But he's, he's still a lot of fun to play. 
um, and my persuasion, and I'm at uh, eighth level right now, and I have a plus eight persuasion, plus ten stealth. So he's he's still got the skill monkey aspect going on. Um, it's probably apparent to our listeners. You play a lot of D and D with Greg. You guys are in a game group together. Two game groups. <laughs> I do not play D and D with you. We're just not in the same circle of D and D. We don't want to play with D. Right. He like Dean likes to play by himself. That's right. Yeah, into the solo gaming. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I have a question. Do you? Is there a class that you don't have a character in? Oh yeah, uh, there's several, several. I've never played a druid. I don't have a warlock. I do. Um, I don't have a paladin. I think hmm, I, I think I have the rest of them covered. Yeah. And again, the reason I do or do not have characters is because I'm usually the DM. I'm never the player. Well, yeah, and I, that's why I do Adventures League, so I can actually play every yeah. once in a while. Yeah. Although lately, now I've been signing up to run more games at conventions and play, so... I gotta yeah, because straddle out, that line. Yeah, outside of Adventures League, I don't think you play really. Do no, you? no. Yeah, I was well, just curious. Except for the online game I yeah. played last night. I was just curious because you have such detailed characters that I wonder if there's one that you don't have. But we're getting off tangent. Well, the here. advantage to making detailed characters is that I can then like uh, use them as NPCs in my games. <laughs> <laughs> that does happen. So, so it's it's dual purpose. Uh, Anyway, so that's Swashbucklers. They're a lot of fun. They're not mechanically the most, you know, uber class, but but they're a good class to play. They're fun to play. The last two builds, I'm not a big fan of. Um, they came out. There's Inquisitive. You can root out secrets and unravel mysteries. So, I was reading through these while you were going on, and I'm like, what? These Where are, did these come from? These are very role-play dependent, yeah. campaign-dependent. I yeah. can't see them being all that useful in a, in a regular campaign. You've got to spend a lot of time not doing something. They're very so, role-play. So really quick, you know, the Inquisitive, basically you can perceive or investigate as a bonus action. Um, you can make a bonus action check to gain a sneak attack, which you should have already because hopefully you're, you're in a position where you're getting sneak attack because you're allies. Um, you can uh, you get advantage on perception and investigation eventually. You higher levels you're able to detect uh, the presence of illusions, shape changers, or sense any other deceptive magic. And then at seventeenth, uh, you get an extra three d six sneak attack damage when using that insightful fighting feature, which was the one that you use your bonus action. So you get a little bit of a damage boost at seventeenth level. Do you think either one of these would have been useful? For the uh, Dragon Heist, even though Dragon Heist only takes you up to fifth level. The problem is, even Dragon Heist, the adventure's not formed around this deception and and trickery. I mean, you run into it a little more, Mm -hmm. but at its heart, most D&D adventures are focused around the combat encounters. There might be... Totally true. There might be some social encounters, but truthfully, the social encounters are anticipating average level characters. So if you're uber at it, congratulations. You're going to get it done just like a regular party would get it done, but you're going to do it instead of somebody else. I mean, that's why I say if you have a DM that's running a very intrigue-based campaign, this would be awesome. Like, I love to run court intrigue um, in my campaigns, 
But you would have to have a campaign that was almost entirely court intrigue, like a Game of Thrones sort of thing. You know, you're in Westeros and right. you have all these. That character would be awesome in Game of Thrones, right? Um, as would the the next one is is in a similar vein. So Mastermind, you get proficiency in disguise, forgery. You can mimic speech. You can use a help action out to 30 feet as a, as a bonus action. Um, you can... Uh, Spend a minute to you basically yeah, observing or interacting an, an enemy and spend a minute, spend a minute observing them and get two pieces of information that are either intelligence, wisdom, charisma, or how many class levels they have. Right. So you're sort of sizing somebody up. Um, misdirection at 13, you can use your reaction to redirect to another target within five feet. That's great if there's another target within five feet that you want them to hit. Um, but you can also redirect it towards your fighter who's heavily armored and turn the hit into a miss. So there, there is that use as well. I'm sure and, the fighter appreciates that after about... You know you what? Know. You're a rogue. What do you care? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's part of your, your <laughs> character description. Um, and then 17th level, Soul of Deceit. You're immune to thought reading, telepathy, unless you allow it. You can actually plant false thoughts for them to read. And same for truth magic, which... Until I read this, you know, that, that circle of truth is sort of a pain in the neck, but maybe I'm going to have my big bad guy have, like, this ability, just sort of tack it on to somebody. <laughs> and, then, and then when the party's like, did you kill that person? Nope, I didn't kill her. So this guy killed her, and the party's like, oh, he's telling the truth, and then all hell breaks loose. That is a huge, that could be start a story arc like nobody's business. Yeah. So, so that is the one good thing from that. but. Those last two, very campaign dependent. If everybody decides we're going to run a Game of Thrones type style campaign, it would be fun to play one of those last two. But if I'm doing a typical D&D campaign, yeah. dungeon crawly sort of yeah. hang out in the inn sort of campaign, I don't know. I just think you're, you're going to spend a lot of time twiddling your thumbs while everybody else has fun. So that's rogues. That is. I like rogues. Yeah. Pretty second, complete, my second uh, favorite class. <clears throat> A complete review of Rogues from first edition all the way through fifth edition. Yeah, and we'll up, maybe we'll post Don Diego up on the website so people can peruse him. All right. Well, I think that is a wrap for this edition of the Grognards. Uh, I'm so glad that Greg is here because he does it so much better than I do in taking us out. So Greg, I can read. <laughs> well, it's more than just reading. You got to have a certain cadence to it. So Greg, take us out. All right. If you want to steal on into our uh, website and give us some information, the best place to find us is on Facebook, where we are the Grognards. Uh, if you want to send us a tweet, uh, we are at tgrognards. And on Instagram, we are the underscore grognards, which I may visit Instagram one of these days. And old school email is gamers at thegrognards.com. Okay, well, that is it for this week's episode. So for the grognards, I'm Dean Geiken. I'm Eric Holly. And I'm Greg Ziegler. Game on. <laughs>